Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. For that. Amen. All right. We hope you find an opportunity to worship our great God because he's worthy of it and he's expecting you. At all hours of every day, he's expecting you. But on Sunday morning in particular, when we come together corporately, he wants you to worship him. He wants to hear the thoughts of your heart. And if that's not the thought of your heart, you need a heart adjustment, you need a tune-up, all right? And so that's why we're here. We get tuned up. That's what church is supposed to be, a time where we come together and get tuned up in our Christian journey so we can navigate together into this broken world and share the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, we're going to learn something new today. I hope today is beneficial for everybody in here. It should be because we're going to uncover, discover, and unpack something that's keenly important in our journey, in our walk with Jesus, and our relationship with God. And it's found in John chapter 14 as we continue uh, back in our journey through this amazing gospel according to John, the gospel according to Jesus' best friend. In this book, we find things that you don't find in the synoptic or similar gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these are uh, exceptional ideas that he presents because he was really close to Jesus and ultimately would write the book of the Revelation at the end. So it's good, powerful stuff. Now, in preparation for this, uh, just uh, this week, we were preparing just the other night after uh, drive-in vacation Bible school, which worked great, and I applaud all those people who made that happen because it was a great week, family time. It was just cool, all right, and we're going to keep doing it that way, I think, moving forward. But uh, we were going to disinfect everything, so we got this high-tech piece of equipment that we bought from uh, Ellison Supply. You know, it's a backpack with a fogger, man, and it walked through here, and it fogs the whole place, kills all the germs and everything, and so I had that on, and Tanner said, who you going to call. All right, now, for, for those of us who've been around for a while, you know what who you're going to call is all about. Okay, who you going to call, to which my answer was what? Ghostbuster. That's what, so I look like the Ghostbuster. I had that thing on. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, the message that I have for today, the topic that Jesus is going to provide for us the, the, today is Ghostbuster. So the title of the message is this. Y'all ready? I ain't afraid of no ghost. Because right, y'all remember that. I ain't afraid of no ghost. And quite honestly, we are, or we certainly act often like we are afraid of ghost. Not just any ghost, but the ghost who we're going to be uh, uh, introduced today, the Holy Ghost. Now in the King James Version, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And just that alone seems like it launches this into some paranormal kind of idea but it's not in other translations it's more subtly more uh, palatably introduced as the holy spirit and so that's what we're going to talk about today uh, is the holy spirit and so to to get into that I, let's just go ahead and confess where we want to be even if it's not let's just go ahead and confess that we're not afraid of the Holy Spirit. And let's just say it like this. I'm, let's just say I ain't afraid of no ghost. Just say it. Okay, so, so our life as a Christian, as somebody who follows Jesus, uh, we should have this idea, this mentality. We should embrace the fact we don't need to be afraid of no ghost, especially the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Now, but often the way we live our lives is such that either we're afraid of the Holy Spirit or we're uninformed. And, and I think more often uninformed or confused than we are afraid. And so when we're uninformed or confused or afraid, it manifests itself in our life 
in our relationship to the Holy Spirit, and it's not good, and I think often it's unintentional. And so here's what I mean by that. The Bible tells us that when we are uninformed, when we're ignorant, or when we're afraid of the Holy Spirit of God, first of all, we grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture says. It says in Ephesians 4, chapter, thir- chapter 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he knows we grieve the Holy Spirit. All right? And so it means to sadden the heart of the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll remember reading in the, uh, in the Old Testament when God was going to flood the earth in Noah's day, it says uh, God repented. Now, he didn't have to repent from sin, but he was broken because it says that the sins of mankind were on their minds and in their thoughts continually. All right, And so it, it's like that. The way, we, the way we respond to the Holy Spirit and, and, and misunderstand the Holy Spirit, often it just grieves him. He's disappointed that we don't get him. And we're supposed to get him. He's a powerful ally uh, for the follower of Jesus. And that's what we're going to unpack and discover both today and next week. The second thing that I want you to know, that when we don't understand or we're fearful of the Holy Spirit, we often quench the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, very simply, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And, and so what this means is sometimes the Holy Spirit is wanting to do great things in our lives. He wants to, he wants to uh, reveal a new truth to us from His Word. He, he wants to use us in a powerful way, witnessing to somebody. He wants to move us to a different level in our intimacy with Jesus. He wants to use us in a powerful way in the workplace or in the school. And yet, when we feel it, and we know when we've had those, uh, those holy unction moments, when it's like, you know, he's trying to shove you out of the nest. And what we do is we take a bucket of cold water and throw it on the Holy Spirit. We quench his activity in our life. The third thing that we do often is we can resist the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, Stephen was being stoned to death for being a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus. And when once he, his, he, they had tried him, they took him out to stone him. And this is what he says. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you were doing just as your fathers did. I don't think that they intentionally were resisting the Holy Spirit of God in, in, in terms of their actions, but they were uninformed or ignorant or confused or misguided. And so it's really, really profoundly important that we understand the Holy Spirit in who He is and what He came to accomplish. So we can, But on the other hand, what we do often, and we all do it, we, we just do it. Okay, there's nobody who doesn't do, play this part at some time or another. We grieve, we quench, we resist, and we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which is the next one. Mark chapter 3, verse 29, the other thing we do, which is this one we do need to be afraid of, is we blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 29. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Do you get that? There is an unpardonable sin. There is a sin you and I can commit that is unforgivable, that will mark us never to receive eternity in God's presence, but we will be spend eternity in a place called hell outside of God's heaven, and it's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is this? What is blasphemy? I'll tell you what it's not, I don't think. I certainly hope it's not, or I'm guilty as charged. I, I, when I was a little boy, I went to church with some, some of my family members, uh, cousins and stuff, and they went to a Pentecostal church. I love Pentecostal churches and, because they're very exciting. I, I went over there. They, the music was much more exciting than it was in my Baptist church. The people were much more excited than they were in my Baptist church. Really excited. 
Okay? So I remember in one particular time, there's a lady, and she's probably 85 years old. And man, she's just, I mean, she's dancing a jig. She's all over the place. She's doing a stanky leg before it was popular. I mean, she was tearing it up. All right? And I remember asking my cousin, I was a little bit scared. Okay? I said, what? what's up with her? He said, and, and he, we were just little boys in elementary school. This is what he said. He says, she's happy. I said, yeah, she's happy. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'd like to have some of what she got. Okay? So on the way home, there's a bunch of people speaking in tongues. And uh, on the way home, my cousin and I started speaking in tongues. Now, we weren't. We were kind of making fun of those who were, and we were pretending. And I remember my aunt, boy, she turned around in the seat, and she said, do not do that. That's blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Okay? You'll go to hell for that. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want to do that. All right? Now, what is it? That's not what it is. That's not what it is. Because the unpardonable sin, listen to me, is to reject salvation. And the, your salvation, my salvation, all of our salvation er, initiates and originates from the same place. And that is when we get a soul invitation from the Holy Spirit of God. I can't speak into your soul. I can't really speak into your heart. I can speak into your mind a little bit, okay? But when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's louder than audible. He speaks into the depth of your soul, inviting you into a relationship with God through Jesus' Son. And when we reject that, when we deny that, that is an unpardonable sin. Those who die without Christ are, in fact, separated eternally from God. So we got to be careful. Or we'll, we'll, we'll grieve, quench, resist, and blaspheme the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, and sometimes simply uh, unintentionally. And so we become ghostbusters. That's what we are. We bust the Holy Spirit of God. We become ghostbusters that we really don't want to. It's just we land in that place. Now, one reason we don't fully embrace the Holy Spirit or we're maybe afraid of the Holy Spirit is because we've been exposed to some strange ideas about what the Holy Ghost, who the Holy Ghost is and what His job is in our life or what His place should be in our life. Uh, there's some who would suggest if, if you, if you uh, surrender to the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, you've got to lay on the floor. Or maybe you have to laugh uncontrollably, these, this joy that comes out of your belly. Or maybe you have to speak in a foreign language. Or maybe you have to pray in some unknown, undetectable prayer language. Or the list is long. But I want to let you know, that's not, that's not who the Holy Spirit is. Can those be manifestations of the Holy Spirit? They can be. Is that often what it is in the world that we live in? I would venture to say, before God, probably not. Because often those demonstrations don't align themselves with what the New Testament says the Holy Spirit looks like in His manifestations. One example, and I'll move on. In the New Testament, it says when someone is given the gift of tongues, they should speak. First, he says to pursue at least of all gifts. Because if we have the, 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 a thousand uh, uh, languages and we don't have love, we're just a clanging symbol. He, he says when someone does have the gift, they should speak in languages, in, in foreign, uh, in a, speak in tongues one at a time, and there should be an, an interpreter there. And I've been to Pentecostal churches where hundreds of people are speaking in tongues all at the same time and never an interpreter in the house. I don't understand how they do that and align it with Scripture, but I'm not judging them. I'll leave that to them. Okay, so I want you to know often what we see is not exactly who the Holy Spirit is supposed to be. So who is the person of the Holy Spirit and should we be afraid of him and what is he supposed to be doing in our life? Well, this week and next week, I want to show you five things, five roles that the Holy Spirit plays in the life 
of every believer or should play in the life of every believer. Now, before we get there, I want you to understand the significance or the importance of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus up to this point in John has demonstrated two great things. One is God the Father and Jesus the Son are both God. You remember Jesus said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He made it extremely uh, clear that God the Father is God. Jesus the Son is God. Now listen to me. <clears throat> They're co-equal. They're co-eternal. And that's not all there is to the Trinity. All right? He, today he's going to introduce us to the third part of the Trinity or the triune persons of God. Now those are heavy hitter words. It's not found in Scripture. Trinity is not in the Bible. Triune is not in the Bible in Greek or Hebrew or English. Okay? It's just not there. But it's words to try to help us understand and develop the idea of who God really is. Because God, listen to me, God is three and yet one. Something you and I can not ever understand now we try to give analogies to it to help us understand it we say well i know what that is that's like h2o okay it's if it's really cold below 32 degrees it's ice you heat it up to liquid you you uh get it hot enough 212 degrees or whatever it is it turns into steam and yet it's all still water so, isn't that a wonderful uh, uh example no it's not even close it doesn't even scratch the surface it doesn't leave an impression or a mark on the depth of who god is three in one. We do it sometimes. We say, well, here I am. I'm, I am a husband to my wife. I am a father to my daughters. I'm a son to my mother. And yet I am still one person. It doesn't even scratch the surface of the depth of the triune God who Jesus the Son is, God the Father is, and today we're going to find out the Holy Spirit is God. So, so let's, let's, I, I want you to really get this. It's really important that we understand. Not, not understand in terms of being able to unpack it and define it, but understand that when God comes into our life, if we're God followers, we're pursuing God, and our only access is through God in the form of Jesus, His Son. And our only direction, and the only way we can ever know how to uh, uh, appease or satisfy Him is through the direction of the Holy Spirit, God. So God the Father is God in sovereign form, okay? The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-existing, eternal God the Father. Jesus the Son is God in human form. Used to, they would say something, it was God with a bod, all right? God with skin on, okay? And that's really what G who Jesus is. He's, he's God with skin. And then, so he could sacrifice himself to save us. But today, John's going to introduce us to the Holy Spirit, which is God, the Holy Spirit, who is God in spirit form. Now, you can read book after book after book about the Trinity, okay? And it'll make your head spin, okay? For some of you high-minded, dive in, enjoy yourself. For some of us, it's good if you got insomnia, okay? Because you'll lose it, you'll read it over, I don't even know what he's saying, all right? But along the way, you'll find people who can write uh, that, that, that write according to the way you understand and read. And one of those guys for me is a guy named Wayne Grudem. He's a, he's a theologian. And he writes this in, in a book on systematic theology. He says, The doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to the Christian faith. It is crucial for properly understanding 
what God is like, how he relates to us and how we should relate to him. But it also raises many difficult questions. How can God be both one and yet three? Is the Trinity a contradiction? If Jesus is God, then why in the Gospels does it record instances where Jesus prayed to God? Those are questions that often we've asked ourselves. If we pursue God, we kind of want to know that stuff. And, and, and if we're not careful, we'll be deceived into believing, okay, it's right. It's, it, it's just the whole Bible's confusing. Or we step aside from that, listen to the Holy Spirit, and remember that our God is not a God to be fully understood, fully unpacked and dissected. You'll, I like that. There's people who want to understand everything there is to know about God. I like knowing my God is bigger than anything this little fickle mind can ever um, define or understand or put into a box. Okay, He's bigger than that. And part of that is the nature, the reality, that He is three persons, co-equal and co-eternal. Now the Bible speaks of God the Father being God in Philippians 1. He speaks of Jesus being God in Titus 2 and in John. And he speaks of the Holy Spirit being God many times. But now listen, one significant time is in the Great Commission where Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world making disciples and baptizing them. Because it's really key to note how it's written, both in the Greek and also in the English. It says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. The significant mark of a believer, that's what baptism is, it is your first step of obedience. I'm born again. I repent of my sins. I receive the grace gift of Jesus. I'm saved. The Holy Spirit comes and seals me and indwells me, which we'll see next week. But the first act of obedience is to be immersed in water. Baptism, baptizo, means to dip, dunk, or immerse, okay? And it doesn't save us. It doesn't affect our salvation. But it is the mark of a follower of Jesus. It is a picture of your old self, your old sinful self, being buried in Jesus' death and raised up to walk a new life. In that moment, in that, that, that significant step as a Jesus follower, as a Jesus follower, this is what Jesus said. I want you to baptize them. How? In the name of the Father, God. In the name of the Son, God. And in the name of the Holy Spirit. And, and. Okay? He puts the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all on the same playing field. All part of God. That's just really cool. That's exactly how he does it. And so, so it's, it's interesting to, to begin to realize the Holy Spirit is God. Let's just say this so, so we're all, you can confess it even if you don't get it yet, even if you don't understand it. Say, God, is, God the Father is God. Say, Jesus the Son is God. Say, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, it's just, it's just, that, it's just that real and that, that transparent. That's how God is. He just tells us. Everything we need to know, not all there is to know, to help us know more about Him. Now, it's interesting to note that they all, although they're one, co-equal and co-eternal, they have different roles that they play in existence, okay? And seldom in God's Word do you see them hanging out all at the same time. So God the Father, He's omnipresent, right? It means He's present everywhere all the time. The Bible says even in the depths of hell, God will be found. He's everywhere all the time. That's the Father. Jesus, when He was in His flesh body, He couldn't be like everywhere all at the same time. He was one flesh 
person, yet he was still God. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, he's omnipresent. He's all places at all times. But seldom do you see them hanging out together. They do in spirit, but you just don't see them together except a few places. In Genesis, in the creation account, you'll remember it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that is God, the triune God, but it's also God the Father. Later we'll find out Jesus, it says in the New Testament, all things were created by, for, and through Jesus the Son. God said, in the, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And a few verses later it says, and, and darkness was upon the abyss. So the Ruach Elohim is the Hebrew, the Holy Spirit of God uh, hovered upon the earth. So you got God the Father, you got the Holy Spirit hovering around, all right? And then it says, God said, let there be light. Now, there's no sun, no moon, no stars. So I believe it's Jesus who said in the New Testament, I am the light of the world. So you have them doing this major thing together. When something major is happening, they hang out together. They work together in conjunction with each other. All of their, all of their attributes collide in a moment to accomplish great things. Where do you see them again? Move over to the New Testament. Jesus is 30 years old. He's lived a perfect, sinless life. And he's beginning to, uh, he's going to initiate his last three years on this earth in ministry, preparing himself to die on a cross for our sin. Okay? So when he's 30 years old, he goes to the Jordan River, and John the Baptist is baptizing. And Jesus says, John the Baptist, I need you to baptize me. And you know the story. John says, I'm not worthy to loose your sandals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jesus says, you must baptize me. This is the way it's supposed to be. John said, okay, I'm going to do it. So he baptizes Jesus. So Jesus is there in the water. Okay, there's one part. He dips him in the water. He brings him up. And when he comes up, the Bible says that the Father God spoke from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So you have Jesus the Son in the water. You have God the Father in the sky speaking from heaven. And then the Bible says, And the Holy Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's got wings and he looks like a dove. It means he came from heaven and he landed on Jesus and he anointed his life for ministry. So you see them together right there. You don't see them much after that until you get to the book of the Revelation, the end times, and you find God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit working in conjunction again in these major events in this existence that we have here on this earth. So in the Christian community, in the Protestant belief system, which is what we are, who we are, uh, there's a lot of agreement about God the Father. A lot of agreement. You go to Methodist church, you can go to the Presbyterian church. You can go to the Church of God, Assembly of God. You can go to a Baptist church. You can go to a non-denominational church. You would, any of those that are Protestant, you can go, and they'll agree God is pretty much God. You can go to the Catholic church on these, and God is pretty much God. He's pretty much the same. We all got, we kind of understand him a little bit. You, you can ask all of them about Jesus, and for the most part, we all kind of believe the same thing about Jesus. But, man, when you get to the Holy Spirit, it's like... You know, it's just like all over. Like, no, he, he's, he's, he's like intangible and non-existent. Or, yeah, he's supposed to fill our life and we're supposed to demonstrate that through signs and wonders. It's all over the map. So what we do is we don't talk about it. I would venture to say that if we took a poll in here today and I said, how many of you have heard many sermons? Well, let's just take a poll. How many of you have heard many servants, uh, sermons referring to God the Father in your life as a Christian? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you have heard many sermons about Jesus? 
Yeah, Easter, every year, Christmas, every year, and all in between. Jesus, Jesus, I'm a fan. I, I do it too. How many of you have heard many sermons about the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. Crickets. Okay. <laughs> Just, now, if we were in a Pentecostal church, they'd be, yeah, I ain't heard about the Father of Jesus, but I got the Holy Spirit because he's magnified in, the, in that denomination. Okay. Here's the thing. If they're co-equal and co-eternal, then they should, they should receive the same, same amount of attention and the same amount of airtime. So conversations, sermons, and prayers should include the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm just trying to help us move toward where God would have us be according to His Scripture. So, so once we understand that, how does it change our life and, and what does that look like? Well, the Bible's real clear. It gets real specific about how we're supposed to act as children of God adopted into his kingdom through Jesus, his son, supposedly sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit. He says in Galatians 5, 16, Christians, I want you to walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. When we get saved, we're supposed to start acting more like Jesus, empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit in our life. And I had a conversation this week during Bible school a young man, I was hoping he would come this morning, certainly asked him, invited him, and he's got, had a hard life. He's just had a hard life, a real hard life. Spent most of it in prison. Anger, aggression, drugs, just a whole bunch of stuff. And he's got some ghost, okay? Not the Holy Ghost, he got some other ghost that, that, that bat, he battles, okay? He really does. I, 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 I sense that he was a believer. He got saved in prison, and man, he, did, he knew the Lord, but he was just in a dark spot. Okay, now here's what happens when, when, when we get saved and the Holy Spirit begins to take over our life. This scripture is very important that we to walk by the spirit and not gratify, satisfy, appease or please the flesh. But what we do is we we drag our old self around with us, man. We're saved. We're, we've got we, God's making us a new creature. But we never let go of the old creature. Now, let me, let me explain it this way. When you get saved, you are saved from condemnation, judgment, the curse, and an eternity separated from God in hell. That's what you're saved from. But often what we don't do is we don't embrace the fact for us to be saved from one thing, we're to be saved and delivered to something else. And so we never make it over here to this life filled with the Spirit, sold out for God, in love with Jesus, all right, and excited and victorious in our faith. What we do is we land in this delivery zone of fog and gray matter where it's like, I got my ticket. I don't think I'm going to hell when I die. Okay, I'm glad Jesus saved me. I'm glad for what he did on the cross. But we never get to this place where life is full and free and exciting and victorious. And we walk hand in hand with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. We just don't get there. And so this verse says we've got to pursue a spiritual life. It's not our natural default. Because listen to me. As long as you and I are alive, your spirit, my spirit, is encapsulated 
in this thing called flesh. Everybody paints yourself. Pinch him because he went, he's in a coma. Okay, he's slain in the spirit right here on the front row. Okay, here, here's, he, you can tell him later. I talked to him. It's cool. Talked about him. It's cool. Now, here's what happens. You pinch yourself. You'll be mindful that you are flesh. You are a flesh container and spirit dwells within. All right? And, and, and so what, what we need to be aware of is that Paul said, Paul said it, I call it the Dr. Seuss theology. He goes, why is it I do what I don't want to do and what I don't want to do? That's what I always do. I keep trying to do the right thing. I do the wrong thing because I do what I don't want to do. He just goes on and on and on, okay? And what he's saying is, even Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, okay, was radically saved, met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. He still battled his old self. Why? Because he was still carrying his old self around with him, all right? One day we get a glorified body at the resurrection like Jesus and we get a new body, uncontaminated and untainted. And our, and our resurrected, redeemed soul or spirit will be united with a new resurrected, redeemed body. And then this verse won't have to be mentioned because they'll both be redeemed. But until that time, Paul says we're supposed to battle, live in the spirit, not to gratify the flesh. Galatians 5.25 a little further says if we live by the Spirit and let us also behave then in accordance with the Spirit. So why are we confused sometimes? Why, do, why, why, why are we? Why is it hard for us sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit and say, I really can't say I ain't afraid of no ghost because I'm kind of afraid of that one. Okay, I really don't want to dive in and experience the Holy Spirit in my life because I don't really understand it. Often it's because what we've been exposed to in the past, we have a strange awareness because we've had people. I'm going to speak for myself. I know you all don't know anybody like this, but I've had people in my life, and maybe you have, that, man, they had, they had the Holy Spirit all figured out. I mean, they had him lassoed down. I mean, they had him figured out. They could write a book on the Holy Spirit, got him figured out. And, and because of that, they, they could speak in languages, tongues. They had it, okay? They... They could speak in a mysterious prayer language, groanings that we didn't understand. And man, they could just use those prayer languages. And every moment of every day is like an a divine appointment orchestrated and designed by the Holy Spirit of God. And, and although I agree that all of those are real things, that's not necessarily what living filled with the Spirit looks like where you got the Holy Spirit figured out, and it's a demonstration of mystical things and mysterious things in our lives. And so those of us maybe who, who haven't been taught and don't, don't believe that's, that is exactly what the Bible says it should look like, we get a little sideways with the Holy Spirit. We kind of leave Him out of the equation. And so those same people sometimes will tell you, if you don't speak in tongues... If you don't have the gift of the Spirit in your life, you either haven't been had a second filling or you could just be lost. I mean, there's just stuff that I've had in my life, okay? And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that tongues, the gift of tongues is real, but it's just that, a gift of tongues. Paul said to pursue at least of all gifts, okay? So sometimes it gets sideways. We get a little confused. Sometimes I think we end up like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, that's what I feel like sometimes, especially when it, comes, when it has to do with the Holy Spirit. And what am I talking about? I remember seeing a Charlie Brown episode, uh, uh, and so I looked it up so I could get it right. And this particular Charlie Brown story or show, and Charlie Brown and Lucy and Snoopy and Linus and all the gang, they're all laying in the grass, man, looking up to clouds. 
just laying in the grass looking up to clouds. And Lucy says, you know, she's the brilliant one. Uh, she says, aren't the clouds beautiful? They look like big balls of cotton. I could just lay here all day and watch them go by. And another friend chimes in and says, you know, if you use your imagination, you can see all sorts of things in the clouds. Charlie Brown's friends, they begin to tell what they're seeing in the clouds, in their imagination. Well, I see a bird riding on a unicorn. I see an angel blowing a big long horn and Mount Rushmore and the statues. I see a dragon charging armored knights. I see the leaning tower of Pisa. I see Goliath and he's a half mile high. I see 20 white horses and a dinosaur waving at me. I see the Civil War and the landing of the pilgrims. I see Caesar at the Rubicon, a circus with clowns performing on the center ring and Prometheus is pointing at me and the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I see the fall of Rome and the pyramids of Egypt. I see the seven wonders of the world and the gargoyle of Notre Dame. And I, now I see a Dodgers-Yankees baseball game and... Lo and behold, now I see the 12 apostles waving at me. Lucy looks at Charlie Brown and says, Charlie Brown, what do you see? Charlie Brown says, I was going to say a horsey and a ducky, but I changed my mind. All right? That's the way we are sometimes. We talk to people and it's like, man, they got it all figured out. Meanwhile, they got God and the mystery and the magnificence of the greatness of who He is. And they're just in touch and in tune and walking with Him. Man, and it's just close and all that. And meanwhile, I'm looking at a horsey and a ducky. Okay? Let me tell you something. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came into your life. We'll see next week. He seals you, marks you for redemption eternally. It's cool stuff. It's amazing, powerful stuff. When He saved you, He began to want you to see God at different levels. He, he started the process for you to encounter God. Are you ever going to see the leaning tower of Pisa in the, cloud, in the clouds? No. Are, are, are you ever going to see the, the greatness of who God is? No. And quite honestly, if all you see right now of God is a ducky and a horsey, I would say at least you're off to a good start. Okay? Now, it's our goal not to be satisfied with that level of encounter and relationship with God. It is our goal, based on the next few verses, to understand more about the Holy Spirit and His goal in our life and the uniqueness of who He is. All right? <clears throat> so, let's, let's we'll get finished with this first part. Here it is. The Old Testament was all about God reaching down to earth to have relationship with with humanity. The New Testament, the Gospels, is all about God in the form of Jesus, His Son, coming down to earth to make a way for relationship with humanity. The Holy Spirit is God staying on this earth, living and empowering us to have relationship with God. Okay? They all have enormous and significant roles, none less, none more, co-equal and co-eternal. And so in John chapter 14, we're going to look at about 12 verses for the rest of today, which is just a few minutes, and then next week we'll really get into it, okay? But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear, if we, if we don't see it, we, we miss something powerful. In the next 12 verses... Jesus' way of introducing the Holy Spirit to his disciples and ultimately to us, Jesus refers to himself, God in the flesh, 20 
nine times in 12 verses. He refers to God the Father 11 times in 12 verses. He refers to the Holy Spirit of God four times in 12 verses. But here's the coolest part of it. He refers to a person or a personal pronoun ultimately being you or me 26 times. You know what the Holy Spirit of God, the Theonustus, the breath of God, the Word of God is trying to get across to us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has a passionate desire to walk hand in hand and spend absolute eternity with the likes of us. I just think that's kind of cool because I know us, in particular, me, okay? So I want you to see the first thing today is that in John chapter 14, he begins in something I never saw before. It's called a conditional proposition in English grammar or whatever, okay? A conditional proposition. It's also stated as an if-then statement or scenario, if-then. God says, if this, then I. If you, then I, okay? And he begins in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, if I ask you, hey, you love God? Everybody, yeah, I love God. He says, then you will uh, obey my commandments. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you say you love him, show it. Demonstrate it. Obey what he says. The world's full of people, chock full of people who have nominal Christianity. What is that? It's Christianity by name. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You check the box. Is that a, you know, is, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? What are you? I'm a Christian. You know, anybody Christian? You're Christian. Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. I mean, we nominal Christianity. But our lives don't often reflect the fact that we're following Christ based on his word. Our life looks adamantly opposed oftentimes to the words that Jesus gave us to obey. And so he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now, looking on down in verse 16, the first point, and we're finished. I'm going to share you one point of the five today, okay? He appeals. The Holy Spirit is given to appeal on your behalf. This is a legal term, which means to stand beside and make an urgent or serious request. To stand beside, to make a serious or urgent request. If you go on, it says usually to a higher authority okay the greek word is parakletos parakletos which is just that god sent the holy spirit to you a follower of god saved in jesus to come along beside you and appeal to god on your behalf listen to what he says in verse 16 then i jesus will ask the father god and he will give you another advocate that's the word parakletos to come alongside you to be with you how long forever he says, I'm going to send him to be with you forever. And so the Holy Spirit, first of all, is like your personal attorney before God. Okay? He appeals on your behalf. He protects you. He covers you. He defends you before God and before the enemy. Uh, he is our advocate or our attorney. He steps to our side. I hope you never have to use an attorney, although I have attorneys that are friends. So let me, let me, let me tell you what that looks like. Uh, about... 15, 17 years ago, my family moved to Tennessee, and I bought an old house. And I bought the old house to get the property behind the old house. So I took the old house, I fixed up the old house, my, my wife, my, myself, both my daughters, we lived in that house. We fixed it up, it's a nice house. 
And while we lived in that house, I built a house in the field behind it. And I was in ministry at the time. I was building houses, and I was also doing student ministry at Second Baptist Church. So the lady bought her house. I invited her to church, told her I was my own staff at Second Baptist Church. I said, yeah, come join us. Love to have you. She knew who I was. I, I, I try to live an honest life. I, I'm seriously, I seriously do. And so she bought the house. It was a great house. We lived in it. It was a wonderful house. And about nine months later, I get a package in the mail about that thick from a lawyer. I was being sued for, listen to this. The house sold for like $179,000. I got a packet in the mail getting sued for half a million. Half a million bucks. Why? Because I didn't pave her driveway. I would ultimately find out in depositions, why would I have paved your driveway? Because you paved yours. <laughs> I don't get that. I'm not putting the two together. Okay. The whole thing was like that. Half a million bucks. So when I got that packet, I called my, my attorney. His name is Dale Cantrell. Okay. Good friend of mine. Okay. And a great lawyer. I called him. I said, hey. I got this going on, and my wife is tore up, okay? I think everything's okay. He said, well, did you do any of that stuff? I said, no. I said, but I'm willing to buy the house back. He said, no, you won't. That's an admission of guilt. He said, you're not going to buy the house back. And I said, I thought it, I'm, I'm thinking, I just thought it was an admission of nice, okay? But no, it's an admission of guilt. I said, okay. So it went on for over a year. We'd go to depositions. We'd be questioned, you know, raked over the coals. Kendra, my wife, she's tore up, wanting it to go away. I, honestly, I didn't worry about it too much because Dale said I didn't need to worry about it. And I trusted him because I didn't know any of that legal stuff. So one day, we had to file for a summary judgment. I, I didn't know any of this stuff. Summary judgment means you write a summary of your position, both sides. Send it to the judge. And they, the judge says, okay, I will personally hear your case. Or they will say, your case needs to go to a, 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 a whatever it's called, jury of your peers. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear it. So we go down there, and Kendra's nervous. She's nauseated, and, and I'm, 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 I don't know what to expect. My attorney, judge says, Dale, present your case. Well, judge, he stepped up my phone. He says, judge, and man, he just went to town. And I'm, he's talking about these people like saints of the good Lord. I mean, these guys are apostles, apostles' wives. I mean, it's a perfect, that, it sounds so good. I'm thinking, he talking about me? <laughs> and I went from being kind of, you know, like defeated and dejected in this whole process to thinking, huh, yeah, I forgot, that is me. That's you. Yeah, that's us. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, we might go to jail and pay her a half million bucks, but in this moment, I'm looking good, all right? I didn't know what to expect. But he appealed on my behalf. He stood there beside me, came to my defense when I could not defend myself, and he spoke on my behalf before the judge. Okay? He finished. I couldn't help myself when he sat down. I, he said, I said, man, that was good. Where'd you get that at? You know, there ain't no way you wrote that about me. It was so good. The other attorney stood up. About 15 seconds, the judge says, excuse me. He says, how long have you been practicing law? And he told him, and he goes, then you know you can't bring that stuff in this court. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, that sounded good on my behalf. Okay, he started again. He went two or three minutes and the judge said, all right, thank you. I'm going to go to my chambers. I'll be back in 20 minutes with, with a verdict. And I'm like, I think this is good. He came back he's, and there were five, five charges against me. Innocent, 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 innocent. You ought to sue them for all your fees and your troubles. You know, and I was like, wow. Now, listen, it painted a picture of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, the parakletos, the advocate, when you get saved, 
God sends him to your side to defend you, to speak before God on your behalf, to encourage and help you and enlighten you and reveal to you and, 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 and comfort you. Okay, He's here to help you. And why would we be afraid or ignorant of something that God has given us of himself to help us in this life? It would be silly now, wouldn't it? I want to share two things, and then we're done. Two things that as, a, as when he appeals, that he helps you and me with. The first thing is prayer. He helps us with prayer. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If praying is an unusual thing. It's difficult for me because I'm wired real tight, okay? You know, if, if, if prayer was me getting up and chasing something down, it'd have to be moving real slow for me to get it because I'm old. But, but I, 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 you know, I, I'm more active, and prayer requires that we get quiet. Not in a strong suit. That we're patient. Another weak suit, okay? And so the Holy Spirit helps somebody, me, a lot because He has to. But I'll tell you another one. Sometimes we're called to make a prayer before people. And if I just randomly said, hey, how about you? Don't you come up here and close us in prayer today? You'd have diarrhea, okay? Because you don't do that every day. It's, it's, a, bad, it's a weak spot. You know I'm telling the truth. If, you, if, I, if I'm not telling the truth, raise your hand. I'll get you to come up here and close in prayer. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we, so I remember the first time I really prayed in public. Kendra and I were in a church in Chattanooga. It's a great church. Central Baptist Hicks. It's now called Abba's House. And the preacher, man, he just blow it out. He could just flat preach, and it spoke to me. And I was, I'd been a Christian for a long time, but I was still wearing spiritual diapers. I just was not where I was supposed to be. And on a Wednesday night, he preached a message, man, and he says, now, he says, we're going we're gonna to break up into prayer groups. Okay, and I'm, he said, just some people around you, seven to ten people get in a circle. I'm comfortable standing in a circle. Then he said the weirdness. He began the weirdness, and he said, and you just get in a circle, and you hold the hand of the person next to you. I don't want to hold the hand that's kind of weird. I don't, I'm not about holding hands of people I don't know in a circle. It's, circle's cool. Holding hands in a circle gets a little spooky for me. And then just go around in a circle. And now we're in a circle. Now we're in a circle. I've, I've jumped in with both feet. I'm in a circle. I'm holding the hand of Kendra and an old woman that I don't know. Okay? And then he said, now one at a time, one of you start. Just go around in a circle. Everybody pray out loud. No. So you got three options. He said, if you don't want to pray, just pass it on to the person next to you. So my first option, okay, I'll just squeeze Kendra's hand, throw her under the bus, okay? And that would be bad. Now, here's what happened. Ken, me, Kendra, and about eight old ladies, okay? And they started praying heaven down into the circle. I mean, they're crying out to God. They're lifting up the president, you know. I mean, they're everywhere. They're all over the map lifting it all up, praying. And I know God's hearing them. I know it. I felt it. We're in the moment, but as they get around the circle, I'm noticing two things. They're covering all the bases. There ain't nothing left for me to pray for, number one. Number two, I don't pray out loud. Number three, if I pass to Kendra and squeeze her hand and she's the last one on the list, she ain't going to have nothing to say but amen. And it's just a bad scenario. And so I had to pray to myself. I, I want to just say, ditto, Lord Jesus. Because they got it all covered. But ditto would just not work. Okay? And in the moment, the Lord gave me a simple prayer, just praying, mostly for me and my family, you know, because I didn't know. 
I didn't get it. But he came alongside me. That's what he does. And he prayed for me. And he gave me words for a prayer. Now listen to me. In that moment, God changed me. I didn't care what he did with them old ladies, man. They rocked my world, okay? I wish I still had their name. If they're still alive, they could pray for me because he listens to them, all right? But in that moment, he unlocked something, a reality that prayer is real, that God is listening. I didn't know it at the time, but I've got a Holy Spirit that lives in me who helps me in my weakness of prayer. Lastly, he helps us in our liberty, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I mentioned earlier about the young man that I talked with on Wednesday or Thursday, and he was in a dark spot because he hadn't been able to shake his old self. The Holy Spirit helps us shake our old self. Okay, We just got to let him. See, I, I got baggage. I'm 58 years old. Just had a birthday. Okay? And I, I don't feel 58. I feel like 88, okay? Because I had surgeries. I'm broke down, all right? But, but I got baggage. I got an, a life of, of, of mistakes and stuff. And, and it's back there, okay? And you do too. That's why I can say that and not worry about it. You can throw a rock at me if you want to, but you're in trouble because you live in a glass house. Because we all got baggage and mistakes that Jesus has put under the cross, that Jesus has been nailed to the tree to bleed and, 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 and wash away. We've all got them. But when we have that encounter, that moment when we meet Jesus and he saves us and his Holy Spirit seals us, it's a process. It's called sanctification where we're set apart for a purpose designed by God. And as we become sanctified, it's like the worm coming out of the cocoon becoming a butterfly. And I know this. I'm more of a butterfly today than I was a year ago or 15 years ago because it's a journey. But the Holy Spirit, I didn't know this. So what we do is we fight that stuff in the flesh. I'm going to try harder to be better. You know, I'm going to try harder to be better. Okay, I'm going to set myself up with some friends and I'm going to take away this website and I'm going to take away this, this hang-up or this thing that I do. I, I'm going to try harder to be better. And we lose. Why? Because we're fighting a spiritual battle in the flesh. And Scripture says the Holy Spirit, when He shows up where the Spirit is, there is freedom. I close with this and I'm done. I remember we lived in Alabama and we had a piece of property that looked at the mountains in this valley. It's really pretty and, and it was a farm. And I was watching one day and the hawk, which I, we've got a hawk here. You heard me talking about him. I love hawks because they don't flap their wings. They're just like, I don't know if they just jump out of a tree, you know, and the wind catches them and they're gone. I, I don't know. But you watch them out here every now and then they go, shum, shum, that's it. And they just soar around, man. And, and, and to me, that's what freedom looks like. That's what liberty looks like. So I was sitting on my front porch on this farm one day, and this hawk, man, he was just soaring. And along came these, I guess they were sparrows or something. There's about five of them. I don't know why they didn't like the hawk. Maybe he ate their egg. I don't know. But all of a sudden, man, they're just, and this is how they fly, man. They fly like you and I do as Christians sometimes, man. I'm, yeah, and they're attacking the hawk, and the hawk's like, you know. I mean, seriously, he, he's doing nothing. And those birds are just stinking, going nuts, flapping their wings, attacking this hawk. And I'm sitting there, and it's like this Holy Spirit just spoke to me. <laughs> Here's the sad part. It's like, it's like 
was having this moment. It's like God just said, see those birds? Yeah. You're like the sparrow. I was like, well, thanks for messing up a good moment. Okay? And it dawned on me. I am try harder to do better guy. I am flesh guy. I am. I can do. I can. I, you know, I think I can. I think I can. Okay? And God says, I don't want you to be a sparrow. I want you to be the hawk. I want you to enjoy me. Let me do your business. What you can't fix, I can fix. What you can't do, I can do. Just watch me. Just let go and watch me. And with that, I want you to bow your heads. I, I, I know that there's people in here who have things in their life that you wish you could do better, try harder, and make happen. And I just want to encourage you to let the Lord take it from you. I'm telling you from personal experience and based on the truth of God's Word, when we let go, He'll take care of it. Maybe there's somebody here who can't experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit because you just hadn't been saved. You have a religion or a knowledge of Jesus, but you've never surrendered for salvation. It begins right there where you just simply say, I know I'm a sinner. I don't know why I'm playing these games. I didn't come here for this, but in this moment, I, I sense you speaking to my soul, inviting me into your presence. I surrender all. I give all of my brokenness to all of your perfection in exchange. Fill me with your spirit. Seal me. Move me forward to live for you. Thank you for hearing this sinner's prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for saving somebody like me. For the rest of us, the prayer is this simple. Father, help me be a hawk. Help me let go so that you can do what you want to do in this life of mine. I want you to be my paracletos, my advocate. I want to let you appeal on my behalf because I'm terrible at appealing on my own behalf. So from this day forward, help me just release me in the arms of you through your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that you would see fit for Jesus not to leave us ignorant, but to expose and initiate and introduce us to the third part of your being, and that is the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song, and I won't come back up here. I want you to know I love you. I appreciate you being here. If you ever need anything from the church, you just call us. We're going to sing a closing song, and then you are dismissed. I hope you have a wonderful, blessed week. God bless. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.